back to Composer Quest. I'm your host in Minneapolis, Charlie McCarran, and this podcast is my way of sharing composition advice from all sorts of creative people. Every episode is free to stream or download at ComposerQuest.com. Today's episode features a fellow composition podcaster, Tom Snively. Tom's story intrigued me because he decided to give up his safe career of being a financial planner to try making money as a composer. He now writes a new piece of music almost every week, and he explains these productions on his podcast, Making My Own Music. Throughout our talk, Tom mentions a bunch of resources for new producers and composers, and I have links to all of them posted on the show notes at composerquest.com slash tom. Before we get into our conversation... I have a special patron announcement. If you've heard the last few episodes, you know that I've started up a Patreon site so that people who enjoy this show can help support it with a small donation. I've just added a new patron level that I'm pretty excited about. If you decide to donate $3 per episode, I will produce a personalized jingle for you, which you'll hear right on the podcast. As an example, here's one I wrote for my friend Joe DiGiovanni. So there you have it. Thanks, Joe. If we get enough people to donate at the $3 level, I'll also put out all these jingles as a free Bandcamp album, tentatively titled Patrons of the Round Table. So anyways, if you're interested in becoming a patron at any level, visit patreon.com slash charlie. Thanks for considering it. Now let's get to my talk with Tom Snively. Well, Tom, thanks for coming on to Composer Quest. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I've been checking out your podcast, of course. And yeah, it's cool what you've been doing in your quest to change careers. Could you explain your career path and why you are where you are now? Sure. Um, I have always loved music. I started playing the saxophone in fifth grade and I started doing some composing and arranging in high school. And when it came time to think about college, I decided to not be a music major. It just seemed that the only way to make money out of college as a music major was as a music teacher. And I didn't really want to go that route. And being a performer or a composer just didn't seem possible. So I studied math and computer science and took a music minor, which you know was still very helpful. Learned about composition and jazz harmony and arranging and electronic music. And just kind of had music as a hobby throughout my life. So my first career was as a computer programmer. I did that for nine years. The last couple of years, I wasn't really that happy. And I 
decided to make a career change. My second career was as a financial planner, and I did that for 12 years. It was a small financial planning company, and the president of the company also is a singer and songwriter, kind of on the side. And a couple of years ago, he got Cubase 5 AI with a Steinberg interface, which is a you know entry level into doing home recording. And he asked me to help him record one of his songs. So I did it and just thought it was great in terms of finding out how easy it is to do home recording. So I went and got my own version of Cubase 5 AI with the Steinberg interface and started working on my own songs. Uh, it was only $200 for the, for the software and the interface. I started the Making My Own Music podcast in March 2012, and this was just as a hobby. And as I was getting into my 11th and 12th years as a financial planner, I started to lose interest in that. And, you know, I made a successful career change before, and I wanted to see if I could do it again. And we, you know, my family and I made the decision that we would uh, make this change, and uh, now I'm making my money in music. Awesome. I think it's cool that you're making this career change, and it's probably one that people would be afraid to just give up a well-paying job to go into composing. But what has your experience been? Uh, it's been good so far. I did realize that, you know, the composing and the music part is only a part of it, and being freelance involves spending a lot of time making connections and trying to find the, the people that want to pay you. So that's one of the big things that uh, I'm working on now, making more connections. Sure. What has your approach been to find connections and find work? Well, I've been getting most of my ideas from the people that you interview. <laughs> uh, I uh, liked your interview with Chris Kukla. And he offered to uh, take questions from people, so I contacted him, and he suggested some of the forums that he uses to meet people. And he suggested the Global Game Jam, which was just this weekend. I had never heard of it, and I got into a group, and I wrote the music and the sounds for one of the games. Cool. Yeah, I did that too this past weekend. Yeah, I, I did see you tweeting and trying to help other people. Yeah. How was that experience yeah, it was really fun. I had no idea what the thing is like. You know, I didn't know until I got there that, you know, people are bringing sleeping bags and staying for 48 hours straight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with a family, that's not something that I could do. What was the game? Uh, it's called Pill. It's a 2D platform where we had a, a elaborate story in terms of being like a mental patient and trying to escape from the psych ward. And you see different colored pills and when you touch a pill new platforms appear and the music changes and it turned out to just be two colored pills originally there were going to be five different colors so i wrote a song that had a part that continued all the way through and then five different instruments that could go on top of it you know then i had to combine three of them and two of them and make just two levels instead what was your approach uh, when you're thinking about how the music would change throughout the game as you grab the different pills? Well, the song is about two minutes that it's intended to be looped. And I did it in three sections, kind of an A section, B section, and C section. And so I basically planned out the bass part, the chord progression, where the A section is all on one chord.
then the B section, the chord progression gets a little bit more complicated. A couple of changes. And then the C section switches to major and it goes double time. part that plays the whole time also has a haunting sound that kind of comes in and out. So the different layers were kick and snare. One of them is a hi-hat and, and some crash cymbals. One is a um, long sustained note. And then one is some chords. And then one is a shorter note melody. So, you know, just kind of kept adding, but keeping in mind that these might be all played at the same time if you hit multiple colors that they would still sound good if if multiple of, of them are on what kind of tools have you found to educate yourself about composing and producing in terms of producing there are a group of people on the internet that have a lot of tutorials People like Joe Gilder at Home Studio Corner and uh, Graham Cochran at the Recording Revolution. So they have blogs and YouTube videos, and uh, they also have a podcast together called Simply Recording. And Ian Shepard at productionadvice.co.uk is also good in terms of mastering and other stuff. So that's a lot of the stuff on that. So you are probably the first guest I've had who prepared his intro theme for the podcast uh, before the interview. <laughs> Could you explain that track? Sure. I um, listened to your interview with John Anilio, and he had an interesting way of composing, and he really liked composing with form, you know, with rondo form or sonata allegro form. And I, like you, you know, studied those forms, but didn't really know what they were like and had never done anything with that. So I decided to try it and to compose something in rondo form. So that's A, B, A, C, A. So the, um, the A sections are in major. I don't know if it was John's suggestion or you know, the Wikipedia article on Rondo that talked about how the B section and C section, you know, maybe would be in a relative minor or some other kind of key like that. Now, one of the things is that the end of the B section and the end of the C section should lead back to the A section. So probably end on a dominant. I guess it's kind of like starting at the end. I want to, you know, I knew I'm going to start here on this minor chord that's relative to it and end up with, you know, the dominant chord and then just kind of figure out how to go from there. Um, 
And so I'm using some of the, you know, the jazz harmony, the two five ones, and I also have a tritone substitution in uh, one section. Could you explain uh, what the tritone substitution is? Uh, yeah. I wrote this in C. Now, I ended up transposing this to B, just one half step lower, because it fit better in terms of the saxophone range. When I did the C section, I wanted to vary it so that it was different. And instead of just a G dominant chord, I did a G dominant chord, and then I did a tritone, uh, a D flat dominant chord. And the D flat goes to C, it leads it in a different way, you know, with a, just a little halftone move. But the, the G dominant chord and the D flat dominant chord share a lot of the same notes. So the, the third and the flat seven are the same in the G dominant chord and the D flat dominant chord. So it, you know, it moves kind of smoothly. And then the whole thing transposed down to B. Right. Everything was one half step lower than I just said. So playing in B is not a problem for you on saxophone? Well, with, even with saxophone, all the sharps? Yeah. Saxophone is an E-flat instrument. So when I'm playing in the key of B, it's actually A-flat for a saxophone. Okay. If you start writing for trumpets and clarinets and saxophones, and you'll have to beware of the transposing. Right. So, you know, it's A-flat. It's a not a normal key for me in saxophone, but it wasn't hard or anything. Okay. So the song Ruse Whistle, inspired by the Hunger Games. Right. Could you explain how you came up with that? Sure. In the Hunger Games book, they talk about a four-note whistle that two of the characters use as a, a communications tool. And one of the birds that they have in this science fiction post-apocalyptic world is one that can hear a melody and repeat it. It was called a mockingjay. So they just talked about a four-note whistle. Then in March of 2012, the Hunger Games movie trailer came out. And it ended with a four-note whistle. G, B-flat, A, D. And if the birds were going to repeat it, I knew that there would be this G, B-flat, A, D all overlapping. And I like the sound of those notes together. That's a, kind of a G minor 9 chord. And minor ninth chords are my favorite type of chord quality. So I thought it would be good to use the overlapping birds and put some music behind it. So I recorded the whistle sound from my Yamaha synthesizer. It sounded pretty much just like the trailer. You know, they must have used a Yamaha whistle sound or something. And um, added drums and bass and a keyboard part, and then I played saxophone over the chord progression. actually saw the movie uh how close was your version to the movie score well the trailer has the whistle being very kind of loud and sustained but in the movie 
it was not really sustained. And they also didn't use as many birds as they could have. So it was a little disappointing hearing the overlapping birds. Maybe the sound person in the movie didn't like the G minor 9 quality, you know, with all the dissonance, the B flat and the A playing at the same time. <laughs> well, I, I don't know why they wouldn't. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. <laughs> I was listening to your Disquiet Hunto tracks. For people who haven't listened to past episodes, I had Mark Wiedenbaum on to talk about his challenge that he puts out every weekend for people to come up with a track based on these very specific rules. So, yeah, what yeah. what has been your favorite project to work on of those? I think the the one that was my favorite was the one that used a three-note pattern from the Xbox EGD. Because that when you turned the console on, that was a little sound that it made. So I did uh, 8-Bit Frenzy. That was, uh, you know, my first experience with chiptunes, and I was able to get a couple of free virtual synthesizers. I got two Commodore 64 emulators from De La Mancha plugins, delamanchavst.wordpress.com, and he's got maybe 15 different synthesizers, but I just took two of them. Is it pretty basic 8-bit stuff? Like, you only have the options of, like, square wave, sine wave, noise yeah one of them was like that didn't really come with any presets and you had to just kind of make your own sounds out of it and the other one had a number of presets so i just listened through them and found stuff that i liked cool with the game jam they asked me to do some chip tune sound effects too which i thought was kind of a interesting thing to try to emulate a chicken <laughs> in 8-bit <laughs> but <laughs> that was fun they also asked me to do a shotgun sound and a sort of a pitchfork sound, like a shwing sound. <laughs> I started that one with a coin noise and then kind of morphed it. The program I used for that was recommended to me by Torley, who I had on the show, and that program is CFXR. That's another cool one for chiptune sound effects yeah someone at my game jam suggested a uh, website bfxer.net i wonder if that's the windows version of it's just a web thing you know you you can slide a couple of things and make sounds you know right from there and then you can download it into wave oh cool i wonder if there's an afxer i have cfxer you have bfxer <laughs> <laughs> could be you know, maybe you can get in the business. You can go get dfxer.com and uh, sell that to whoever wants to buy that from you and make a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you see your video game composing going? Is that a route you want to take? Yeah, I think the avenues for making money from composing are from video games, from film, uh, from multimedia, or from having people perform your music. And... I think that video game is a is a huge industry. You know, I think there's a lot of money there. There are just a lot of people making games. I think that that might be the easiest way to get going. 
you know, I am not sure about that, but that's kind of the direction I'm going in. So I'm trying to specialize on the video game music. Yeah. I think I talked to you before and you kind of like to dabble in them all. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I Keep, keep yourself a uh, variety. Yeah. Because I feel like if I was doing the exact same style all the time, I might lose sight of why I like composing in the first place. Right. Well, video games also has, you know, a lot of styles. You can do 8-bit stuff. You can do, you know, stuff that's more rock with guitar. And you can do orchestral stuff, you know, and more ambient stuff. So there's a lot, you know, I still think there's a lot of variety there. Yeah, that's true. Well, um, another Disquiet Hunto project of yours that I enjoyed was your one about Philadelphia and (laughs) cheesesteaks. Yeah. And the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, woven <laughs> autobiography. The idea was to write a 100-word essay about something and then a 90-word essay about something and an 80-word essay about something. Record yourself speaking them and then put the three of them together, you know, mix them together so that they overlap. And then to, you know, do a single melodic thing under it if you wanted. I was born in the Philadelphia suburbs, and I liked the Philadelphia Eagles. In 1997, watching the movie, I was about 10. And when you grow up with 2001, and I moved to Long Island, they went to the city. It's extremely rare to find a good cheesesteak. Living in the city was really fun. They got most of Long Island's famous suburbs like I grew up with Pat's. Geno's and just Genu this September, I think Jimmy Kelly back is very excited to dice and they stay. have a quick strike great. off and if I get feel at home again. They don't melt it on this top. City it's great to be in Eagle Wars get the band cheesesteaks and I won't be alone and to relish in the moment. One with fried eagles in America Super Bowl. I didn't know you were so passionate about cheesesteaks. <laughs> well, when you grow up in the Philadelphia suburbs and uh, then you move... I, I grew up in the Philadelphia suburbs and then moved to uh, New York City for four years and Long Island for 12 years. And, you know, you just can't get cheesesteaks that taste good there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also took on my challenge of doing a fortune cookie song, uh, which I think yours turned out really well. Thanks. What was that experience like? Uh, it was fun. The fortune was follow the advice of your heart. And, um, you know, I've subsequently had additional fortune cookies and, you know, they didn't come out quite as nice. So I'm glad that I got that one. You know, follow the advice of your heart. It kind of matched up with my career change. You know, when I am sick of a career, you know, I don't want to just be miserable nine to five doing something I don't like. So, you know, I'm spending time now composing and doing other music stuff so I wanted to write something that was kind of peaceful and um, I have a synthesizer called Omnisphere that just has a tremendous number of awesome sounds in it and so I would go through and just you know hear sounds that are really cool and put together the first section with like three of those sounds
what's your advice for someone who is thinking about leaving their job to pursue music? Well, I think, you know, I'm coming from financial planning. So, you know, I, I would just consider that you have to be in a decent financial situation. You know, I mean, you probably don't want to have a lot of debt, a lot of credit card debt or student loan debt or anything like that. That's not the best time to do it. And I was doing, you know, recording my own music as a hobby for more than a year before moving the, you know, making the change. So, you know, I was pretty confident that I can compose songs and record them and get them used by people. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that is really good that you're doing is keeping yourself kind of on a schedule of trying to do one new song every week or two weeks or what, what's your schedule? Yeah, for 2014, I decided I want to try to do 40 songs for the year. You know, I kind of made a goal that I'm going to uh, put together a new age album and release it on a place like Bandcamp by the end of March. And then I want to have a video game album by the end of August. And then I'm also going to release a jazz EP. I don't want to do a whole album, you know, because I don't know that the jazz is as marketable. That's a very methodical approach. That's that's good. One of my other things, you know, the career change is to make money in music. So I also am making money playing the saxophone. So I can play around this area. I live in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. But I also have a, a site. It's myonlinesax.com. And this might be useful for your composers that are doing recording of their music. You know, they may be great at guitar or synths and stuff. But like if you have a saxophone part on your song and you're using a synthesizer saxophone, that's one of the instruments that just doesn't sound great, you know, a synthesizer saxophone. So if somebody is, has a saxophone on their song, you can contact me, you know, through myonlinesax.com. Give me the song and what you want and I will record a saxophone part and send it to you and then you can mix that into your own song. That's a cool idea. Have you grabbed up any other domains? My yeah, online. Actually, I, I do you, have you another did. one. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I got this idea from my online drummer. And, you know, just looking around, there are a lot of drummers that, you know, offer this because drums is something else where having a live drummer can make a big difference. So I have my online sax and I have my online synth.com. So I could potentially do a synthesizer part for you, but I haven't really, you know, got that website really going yet. Sure. That's a cool idea. Have you heard of this site, Fiverr? Uh, yeah. Basically, people offer... Um, All sorts of services I'll, for $5. Yeah, yeah, $5 or more, but the whole philosophy of the site is that it's just $5, which right. I think is ridiculously underpriced for most yeah. of the things on there, but it's a good promo tool for yeah, yourself, I, too. I, I charge more than $5 for the sax parts. Yeah. <laughs> Some people offer like mastering services for five dollars who yeah. knows what the quality of that is but <laughs> <laughs> what do you do for mastering uh for mastering i took my album gray matters to a place here in minnesota about for the stuff you have on Bandcamp, like the cage tones album and stuff that i mastered myself which i'm not an expert mastering person but i at least learned somewhat how to use compression and eq Right. Self-mastering, I think, is fine for most things if you start to get good at it. But if you're looking for getting radio play, 
you should really have it professionally mastered. Right. But for like video game scores, if it sounds good to you on your smartphone or your computer, if it right. sounds good to you and the developers like it, I wouldn't say you need to do professional mastering. Right. I've noticed that mastering is especially harder if you've recorded live instruments. Like synth sounds generally are kind of mastered to begin with because they're very controlled sounds. Right. But anyways, I have a a listener question for you. Uh, Sarah Olson is wondering what it takes to make a podcast. Yeah, I saw that question on uh, Twitter. She asked both of us, and I I responded to her. I suggested a uh, tutorial that I used to learn how to podcast. It was learnhowtopodcast.com, and that's a uh, free tutorial that Cliff Ravenscraft, uh, the podcast answer man, puts out, which is great for people that are technical to learn basically everything you need to know about podcasting. Cool. Well, Tom, thanks again for coming on to Composer Quest. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Composer Quest with Tom Snively. Make sure to check out his podcast at makingmyownmusic.com. And if you heard a track you like in this episode, visit composerquest.com slash Tom, where I have links to all the music, along with a list of resources we talked about in this episode. If you aren't a follower of Composer Quest already, find Composer Quest on Twitter and Facebook to stay updated on future episodes and composer opportunities. Now, it's time once again for... Since we're on the subject of game jamming, I thought I would share the music I helped produce for the Global Game Jam 2014. My artist friend Jeff Schwinghammer asked me to help out with his game, Cluckster Fox, in which a field of possessed foxes tries to pitchfork a giant chicken to death. The cool thing about the game is that you start playing as the chicken, fighting off foxes with a shotgun, but then when you die, you play as a fox, trying to feed your village. The perspective is totally reversed, so that the chicken now looks evil. So musically, the team already had a soundtrack for your time as a chicken, a track called Weird Marriage by Adam Carlin. But they still needed something for when you're a fox. So I took the original theme, which sounds like this. And I did some simple monkeying around with it. The main thing I did was reverse it and add a thumping beat. But the technique that I think sells it is a thing called sidechain compression. If you've never heard of this, the idea is to use the kick drum hits to affect the volume of one of your channels, be it a synth line or some other sort of droning sound. You want this channel to duck down in volume as the kick drum hits and let the volume come back up in time with the beat, which creates sort of a pumping rhythmic breathing effect. Take a listen to this clip and see if you can hear how the main channel, when it's released, accentuates the upbeats. In contrast, let's hear that without sidechain compression. 
once again with the sidechain compression. This technique became popular from techno bands like Daft Punk using it to the extreme, and almost every dance track since has used some sort of pumping sidechain compression. So how do you actually do this effect? Well, if your software supports sidechain compression, which it should, put a compressor on the channel that you want to affect, and sidechain the kick drum to it, then lower the threshold so you can hear what's actually going on, and mess around with the release time to make it in time with the beat. The attack time should be pretty low. So if this whole thing kind of went over your head but you still want to learn about it, feel free to email me if you're lost. Charlie at ComposerQuest.com Thanks again for listening, and I'll leave you with the rest of my soundtrack for the game Cluxter Fox.